0: Good morning IBC family, as, as we focus on who God is, really focus with everything that we have got and we focus on who he is, all the noise begins to fade. You all, what a beautiful place to be, what a beautiful place to be and it's the right place to be. For us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, that's where we want to dwell. That's where he's called us to dwell. That is the power of who God is in us by his Holy Spirit that we might live our lives in peace no matter what's going on in our circumstances all around us. The summer of 2002 was a summer of a lot of stuff that was going on in our lives. Hour by hour, I mean my wife, my daughter, Sue and Christy. We were on the mission field in Brazil on the Amazon River. The place we lived, you can imagine uh, a summer camp. For those of us in this area, Camp David Jr., something like that, That's the kind of place we lived, on the banks of the Amazon River. Behind us, Amazon Rainforest. In front of us, the Amazon River, three miles wide. The only way to get there was by boat, or float plane, I suppose, or helicopter. There were no roads. It was rather isolated from the city 25 miles away. Uh, That summer, actually, we had come to the States. We were here in Port Angeles for a time. Uh, Sue was suffering migraines. They were getting worse. Uh, they were very intense, and so we had come home uh, for a little bit to, to get that addressed. And um, I returned back to Brazil while Sue and Christy stayed behind for a time so they could breathe in the fresh air, the delicious air of the Northwest for a while before going back into the sweltering humidity, the Amazon. I went back down there, and um, I was down there, and things started to happen. Uh, we had, uh, for our transportation, an 18-foot aluminum speedboat, 50 horse on the back, and it uh, was our tool of ministry, recreation, I remember, no roads, no car. Uh, this was our mode of transportation, and so forth. And that summer, it became an ambulance. As one thing after another took place that summer, a Brazilian boy had fallen out of a tree on his head. And so we had to rush him to the city by our speedboat uh, to get help. A fellow missionary had fallen gravely ill. I'll never forget the day we took him in, into the bottom of the boat, cruised up. It really was only about a 15-minute boat ride uh, to where a car could meet us. And we had him on a mattress even and uh, so forth. He ended up having to be medevaced by private a medical jet out of Manaus, Brazil, to the Mayo Clinic uh, in Minnesota. Another fellow missionary, good friend of ours, these guys I'm telling you about are good friends of ours. Uh, One day in the school building, uh, he was up in the attic doing some work, and he was walking on a board, and the board had a weak spot and broke, and he fell all the way 12 feet to the concrete floor below him, The board that he was on came down and landed on him and had to take him in also. Uh, One of our high schoolers, a junior in high school, it was on the 4th of July that summer and uh, lit off a firework and it went off too soon in his hand. And we had to rush him at night in our boat to the city and he ended up losing his hand in that. I remember feeling like I don't want this boat anymore. Lord, get this boat out of here. My world was shrinking. The sky was coming down. It was intense. You couldn't call 911 and have medics come in and give aid. We had to do it. We had to take them in. And uh, I remember feeling the pressure building within me. Uh, of the stress, of the things that were going on. It was like, Lord, what's happening? All these hard things are happening. Help. We need your Help. Felt trapped in this place, isolated and remote. You know, as the world around us these days is trembling, much of us, many of us feel the same way because these kinds of things are happening. There is so much going on in the world around us right now. There is chaos, there's confusion, there's anger, there's bitterness, there's defiance, there's fear, there's panic, all kinds of things are upset. It almost feels like the the world is turning upside down. It's crazy, it's nuts. We're facing a global pandemic it's coming closer and closer to us. For those of us not lost a loved one, uh, a close friend of ours in Brazil, a Brazilian man, a few years older than I am, passed away from COVID recently. It's getting closer. Uh, others of you who are watching, maybe you have lost a loved one or you have one that is fighting this illness. Meanwhile, we, are, we, we discuss masks or no masks, and now here is required. And on and on, this pandemic is creating havoc all around us. The pandemic has become local to us in that sense. There's, a race, there's race strife going on in our world, in our country, since George Floyd was murdered that day, and the world has gone crazy. You know, I'm, we're close with friends overseas, people in Liberia, people in India, in Africa, and they are writing and going, we are praying for the United States. The world is watching. The, the nonsense in downtown Seattle. The world has gone crazy around us. The political strife that we see all around us and it's in our face always. We're in an election year and it is nuts. It's crazy. <laughs> the, the language that gets used And it gets intense in a split second. Discussions become intense. Adversarial. There are personal hardships that people are facing. Even in our own body, there are hardships people are facing. People are literally walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Stage four cancer. Another fighting many kinds of cancers. Another one looking for dialysis on her kidneys looking for a kidney transplant. Could be life, could be death. All kinds of things that are going on, personally, health issues. Some have lost jobs. Some have lost their businesses. The future seems uncertain. Strained relationships. It's creating all kinds of havoc all around. We are living in a stress-filled time. These are, in fact, troubling days. In each of the situations that I described to you back on the Amazon River, each one came through. God sustained them. In fact, as I look back on that, God sustained all of us in the midst of it and coming out of it as well because God is all about being in our lives and working through our lives, none of that stuff catches him by surprise at all because he is Almighty God, sovereign God. The passage that we're going to look today, look at today in our scripture passage, is similar to this in a way. It's going to zero in on one person who was filled with stress and fear and anguish. And we're going to look at how Jesus handled that. That's what we're going to look at. And it's going to then inform our own lives about when we are feeling stressed out. And we are sensing all of the stress that is going on around us and up close and in our lives. The context of the story, if you recall from last week, Pastor Aaron preached on the passage where the Pharisees were criticizing Jesus and his followers because they weren't doing the rituals, the traditions, and Jesus rebukes them. They were looking on the outside. Jesus says, I look on the inside. And so then in this passage, we're, we're going to read right away at the beginning that Jesus got out of that area. He needed a break. In fact, as we read in the Gospels, there many times where Jesus tried to get away so that he could have some downtime. He really needed to get away and pray and be with the Father. And this is one of those times, in fact, he wanted to get away so badly, he left Jewish territory and went into Gentile territory. And he went way away, in fact, he went into a house where he was thinking he wouldn't be seen. Of course, we know that God, Jesus was also God. (laughs) And it doesn't always reveal everything he was thinking or was aware of, but he was up to something in this passage, no question about it, that we don't necessarily see at face value, but we're going to take a look at that. There's a subtle, maybe subtle, maybe not so subtle, shift in the ministry of Jesus at this time. He leaves Israel, or the the land of the Jews, and goes into Gentile territory. And even in the conversation that takes place in the passage, he's saying, I came for the Jews. But he ministers to a Gentile. And the shift is on. That Jesus not only came for the Jews, but he came for the Gentiles. He came for all people, and this is a serious shift that has taken place, and we'll hear more about that even next week. So, right before we read the passage, um, I want to draw your attention, especially for you, our young worshipers, you kids that are uh, worshiping with us right now. We have prepared a little thing called Sermon Bingo for you. And it's available to you. Uh, Michael is putting the uh, URL right there um, on the screen for you. You can click and go to that place on our website and get access to what's called Sermon Bingo. And there are words on the bingo page that as you hear them today in the message, you cross them out or you cover them up and so forth. And uh, that way you can be engaged and listen for these words as we go through our message today and look in the passage in Scripture and, and you can watch for those, okay? And maybe your parents will even, I don't know, maybe reward you with something when you're done. Okay. It also was in a newsline for your parents. It's on newsline and you can go back on that and access that. So here we go. Our passage is in Matthew 15, uh, verses 21 to 31. Matthew 15, 21 to 31. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was, only, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, "O oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered. When they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Interesting line there. They glorified the God of Israel, is because they were predominantly Gentiles. And they had come to this Jewish rabbi, he had healed them, and they glorified the God of Israel. I want to show you a map very quickly. Here on the screen, Michael's putting a map on there for us. Uh, you will notice um, the last place we were there at Gennesaret, and then Jesus goes up, probably northwest towards the region of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon, those two cities that you see right there on the coast, that whole region was a Syrian region. Um, You see Canaan, that was there. Um, It is a Gentile region, and that's where he went up into that area. Um, When he comes back at the end of this passage that I read, he comes back to the Sea of Galilee. Uh, We read in other gospels that he went up to uh, farther up to Sidon, and then he came back down over on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee, predominantly a Jewish area um, in that place. So that gives you some geography of of where he goes. He goes into a region that was despised by the Jews. Okay, that's a critical thing to know. We'll talk more about that as we go here. So the first question I have, first point is, number one, who is the Canaanite woman? Who is the Canaanite woman? We will note that her determination by coming into the house spoke volumes to Jesus when she forced her way into the house, whatever that may have looked like. But who is she? Well, we've identified she is from Tyre or the region of Tyre and Sidon from Canaan. She's called the Canaanite woman. What significance? For us, it may not have much significance, but if we look into this, it has a lot of significance. In Isaiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 12, there's a passage in there that addresses the cities of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were the epitome of success, of glory, of of cities that were the jewel of the era, of their whole region, of wealth, of wealth, of power and all of that. But in this passage in Isaiah, God brings destruction in their arrogance upon them and wipes them out. Okay, so God has cast judgment on this region. In 1 Kings 16:29 to 33, that passage talks about King Ahab who married Queen Jezebel. Remember, we're asking the question, who is this Canaanite woman? She is a descendant of Jezebel, the evil queen Jezebel. This woman is a direct descendant of hers. Then in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, 16, 17, and 18, we read God putting Canaan on the list to annihilate. You remember the Hittites, the uh, Jebusites, the Canaanites were one of those. And God said, when you go in to the land of Canaan, you wipe them out. They they don't worship me, the one true God. They're idolaters, and you absolutely wipe them out. The Canaanite woman is from that area. So you see, to begin with, this woman really is an enemy of Israel. Israel. Of the Jews, she comes from an area that is despised and hated by the Jews, and so in the disciples, they're fully aware of this. They're Jews, they're followers of Jesus, and they're going into this foreign area, and they're probably freaking out a little bit, going, "Why are we here?" And in comes this woman who is a local pursuing Christ. This woman has everything going against her. She's a woman. And in that day, women's status, not what it is today. Subservient and so forth. She is a Gentile. She's not a Jew, and we're dealing with a Jewish context. Jesus is a Jew. The, his disciples are Jews. They're doing ministry. This woman is not that. She's a Canaanite. Canaanites, they say, were of the most hated race by the Jews, the most hated. So for her to be identified as a Canaanite, she would have been despised above all others. In fact, the disciples tell her to go away. In fact, they implore Jesus tell her to go away. Get her out of here. She's crying after us, making all this noise. She's persistent. Lord Jesus, tell her just to go away. She's bothering us. She was not welcomed by them in any, any fashion at all. She has a demon-possessed daughter. She has a demon-possessed daughter, more evil to add to the scenario for her. She had many barriers, racial, social, cultural, spiritual barriers. Another barrier she faced was the response of Jesus. We see the response in this passage that he said nothing. He was silent. She's crying out and he is not responding. And the next response he has as he's talking to the, to the disciples where she probably can hear is I did not, basically he says, I came only for the Jews. Telling her, I didn't come for you. That's not why I am here. So it's an offhanded, lady, I didn't come here to minister to you. I came here to minister to the Jews. And then, of all things, Jesus Backhandedly calls her a dog. The word dog, it was typically used for Gentiles, especially in this region. The Jews referred to them as dog. You want to talk about racism? This was at its height. When Jesus uses the word dog here, it's very interesting. He softens the blow a little bit because the word for dog is not, if I could put it this way, so harsh. He's not talking about a street dog, a cur, or a mongrel out there. It's more of a pet dog, a lap dog, but still a dog nevertheless. What was in this woman to keep her going? Why would she, in the midst of that kind of really rejection, brick wall that she was coming up against, what was it that motivated her to keep on going? Well, we know she was hurting. She had deep hurts. Her daughter is demon-possessed. I'm not gonna go into a lot of detail here. We don't know a lot of detail, in fact, but we have other passages in Scripture that describe people who were possessed by a demon and it is ugly. It is nasty. And the nastiest part of it is they have no control over themselves. It is they are being controlled by an outside evil force that has entered them is now controlling them. We have one throwing himself into a fire, another one breaking chains, living in the grave, in the cemetery, and all this stuff. It is a person who has no more, no control over what they do. And here's a mother watching her daughter over in, and Mark, it tells us, a young girl. So she's just a child. This mo- mother's innocent little girl is being overtaken by a very evil, evil presence and it's shredding the mom's heart. And you can imagine why. I know for me, uh, there was a time we were um, on furlough here in town in Port Angeles, and uh, Christy was four or five years old, and she was doubled over in pain with abdominal pain. And I will never forget the feeling as a, as a parent, just being helpless. And just Lord, please take this away, my daughter is hurting only this is 10 times or more worse what this woman is facing with her daughter daughter with this evil presence and she had no power to get rid of it to help her daughter be clear of that she was crying out after us they said she's crying out her persistence i imagine the cries that she was crying out were in absolute anguish and in desperation Oh, Jesus, help. I need your mercy. My daughter needs you. Please. And then she knelt at the feet of Jesus. And in the kneeling at the feet of Jesus was not just a physical act, it had worship all over it because she recognized who Jesus was. And she worshiped Jesus. See, this is the humility that she brought. In her faith, she was hurting. She was desperate, but she was humble. And she came and knelt at the Master's feet and said, I need your mercy. Help me. And she worshiped him. You know, in the exchange she has with Jesus, when he says, I came to feed the children their bread. And she says, and not the dogs. And she says, even dogs will eat the crumbs. She was not offended by that. (laughs) She could have been offended by that. Wait, Wait a minute, I'm a person too. Shouldn't I have some bread as well? That's not her posture. She goes, I'll take crumbs. Lord Jesus, I will take crumbs. I'll be happy with crumbs. It reminds me of that verse in Psalm 84. You know the song that says, for a day, one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'll take one day in your courts. I'll take one crumb from you, Lord Jesus, because that crumb will sustain me. I need you that much. Please, I need you, and I'll take the crumb willingly and gladly. I don't need the loaf of bread or a piece of bread. I just need your crumbs. That is a humble posture of somebody in need who understands who Jesus is. She knew who Jesus was. She says three times, Oh Lord. Oh Lord. There is a recognition for who Jesus is. How do we know this woman knew who Jesus was besides her saying, Oh Lord, and coming to him in this way? Over in Luke 6, we read this. And so the people in that region had a clue of who Jesus was. It says this, And he came down with them and stood on a level place, talking about Jesus, with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and, and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. So everybody was hearing and they were running to wherever Jesus was. This woman is dealing with a child who's oppressed by a demon. She has a desperate need, and I imagine as we do in this day, hey, how did you get help for this? Oh, man, there was this guy down over there. His name was Jesus. We think he's the Messiah. He's God, and he is healing people. I'm gonna go check him out. I imagine something along those lines and probably way more than that. We're not given that information, but we do have the idea here and the clue that this woman had heard about Jesus, maybe even had seen him in action before. She comes and says, oh Lord, and she calls him son of David. When she calls him son of David, it is no small thing. Remember, she is detested by the Jews. They have nothing to do with the Jews. These are two complete separate entities, these people groups, but she knew the history. She knew history. She knew the lineage. She knew he is the Messiah. She knows he has power. And she demonstrates a great and persistent faith. Here is a woman who would not take no for an answer because she understood her need and she understood who Jesus is. I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, that is critical to know who we are and to know who Jesus is. And when we have that understanding, it makes all of the difference. Because he can meet every need that I have. He can meet every single need that you have. And he will meet you there. She would not take no for an answer. She knew her prayer was righteous. It was honorable. I'm looking for help for my innocent daughter. She, her heart, was shredded in pain and anguish. You know, I love the verse in James 5, the prayer of a righteous person. Here's the way the ESV has it. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. She came into this house despite obstacles. Oh, the audacity. (laughs) Oh, the audacity of this woman to come into this house. Apparently, nobody stopped her. They wouldn't touch her. They wouldn't barricade her. She made her. We don't know what that even looked like when she came into the house. It wasn't just out on the street, out on the road, out on the side of the mountain. No, she went into the house where Jesus was. She was not taking no for an answer. Oh, audacious faith. Because the master is there and he can meet my need. And what does Jesus say to that? And what does Jesus respond after he has been testing her? He did not answer her. He kind of gave out of the side of his mouth. I didn't come for you. I came for the Jews only. And then the whole bread and crumbs thing and the dog thing. Basically, he's, he's, he's testing her. He's throwing obstacles at her. Not once did Jesus turn her away. Now, once did Jesus turn her away? In his silence, he wasn't turning her away. In the comment that I came for the Jews only, he was not turning her away. He didn't say, no, I'm not gonna minister to you. Uh Uh-uh, you're not who I came for. He never said that. And that woman took note. She goes, wait, his silence didn't send me away. His, I didn't come for the Gentiles, I came for the Jews, that doesn't send me away either. There's still hope. And then when the interchange about the bread and the dog and the crumbs, she's going, oh, I'll take the crumb. Oh, Jesus, I'll take the crumb. That's oh, great. And in the end, Jesus says, oh, woman, great is your faith. When Jesus says, oh, woman, it's filled with the emotion. Jesus is moved by the faith of this woman and her persistence, her sincerity, her earnestness as she pursues Jesus. We'll take a break from her for a minute and let's talk about the disciples. Who are the disciples? They're Jews, we know that, we said that. They were chosen by Jesus, they're chosen. They were the righteous protection of Jesus. They're the gatekeepers. At least they took that upon themselves. Uh, They're the ones becoming the religious aristocracy, really. Really? They're the ones that are around Jesus. And Jesus is creating all this stir everywhere and they're the ones, they become the privileged ones around Jesus. Today who are the disciples? Christ followers, you and me. I'm one, I'm following Jesus and so are you. And if you're not, I invite you to be one. Church attenders, church members, We can be just like the disciples that we're seeing in this passage where they're going, no, this woman, uh uh-uh. Jesus, you're you're annoying us. You're upsetting the apple cart here, lady. You're making too much noise. Stop that. Go away. Are we like that? People might disturb our peaceful worship time or peaceful life, whatever it is. We become a club Disciples here become in a club. Lady, you don't don't fit into our club. Uh Uh-uh, you go on now. We become a club. So what is our attitude? What is your attitude as a Christ follower, as a Christian? Are we the cool people? Are we the cool people because we're followers of Jesus? We've got eternal life. What is our status? What is your status? What is my status? I want to tell you what our status is. This is Independent Bible Church. Those who attend are a part of Independent Bible Church. We were lost. We were helpless. We were hopeless. We were sinners. We are sinners. Separated. Powerless. Powerless no meaning, we're meaningless, peaceless, condemned, desperately needy, just like that woman. That is us. But because God intervened through Jesus Christ, for God so loved us needy ones, he so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to die On a cross and take our place, that any who would believe in him would not perish, would not die, but would have everlasting life and could live life on earth in peace. So who are we now? We are found. (laughs) Ha ha. We are found. We are helped. We are full of hope. We are sinners saved by God's amazing grace. We are reconciled to God by his grace and his mercy. We are full of Holy Spirit power now. We, have, we are full of meaning and purpose. There is no condemnation to us who are or any who are in Christ Jesus. But we remain desperately needy. We remain desperately needy but our our need has been met through Jesus and continues to be met, but we remain needy every day for his grace and his mercy to continue to empower us, to follow his lead, to obey him and walk in truth with him even in a world that's gone nuts. You know, the disciples were well-intentioned In this passage, I'm not throwing them under the bus. They were well-intentioned, but here's the thing. The word tells us that these same disciples, these young men who were still learning, ended up turning the world upside down because they grew and they stayed with Jesus and they stayed in the presence of Jesus and they learned from him. They became saturated with who Jesus is and they turned the world upside down. May we be like the disciples. As the world is turning upside down around us, may we be agents of God's peace that people look and go, what is up with you? Why aren't you freaked out? It's because I've got Jesus. And you can have Jesus. And he's in control of all of this. And he knows what he is doing. So who is Jesus? Number three, who is Jesus? Jesus. We know who Jesus is. He's the Son of David. He's the Master. He is Lord. He's healer. He's Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is God. He's the Savior. He's the Redeemer. He's the Lamb of God. He's the chain breaker, as we sang today. He's the need meter. What I love about who He is is that He never turns us away. Matthew 7, back earlier, he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This Canaanite woman was able to see Jesus clearly for who he is. You know, all through scripture, all through scripture, when people seek God, He does not turn them away. Who gets turned away? It's the people who are defiant. It is the ones who are self-reliant. And that verse kind of grabs the whole thing. That God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And we see in this passage a woman who was humble and in desperate need and came to Jesus. And he said, I did not come for you, your types. I came for this other type, but I will minister in your humility. I'm moved by your humility and your faith in who I am. And that moves God. That moves King Jesus. When we come to him with humble faith, in a desperate need unto him once again it is critical critical to understand who we are and who he is the more we study the word of god and the more time we spend in his presence praying, meditating on him, on his word, the more we understand who he is. And we know that we're still only scratching the surface. I mean, here is the God who holds the oceans in the palm of his hand. He is huge. In fact, human words cannot articulate the greatness of our God. And when we dwell in that place of of, uh, recognizing, of meditating on, and beginning to understand and think about who God is, we shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink. We don't really shrink. We're already small, I think. As we gain more and more understanding of the gap, the gap just widens and widens and widens. And it helps us to recognize our neediness. The more we understand how needy we are, the more we will seek him and throw ourselves at his mercy and cry out to him for mercy. There is no place for self-reliance. There is no place to say, I've got this. Even in a a global pandemic, a local pandemic, all the politics, all the, the chaos, everything going around, even in the valley of the shadow of death, God is bigger than all of this and he is in control of all of it. And he says, Come to me. Come to me and lay your burden down, and I will give you rest for your souls. It is critical to recognize who we are and who King Jesus is. When, like the woman in the story today, we see Jesus clearly, we will not hesitate for a second to cry out to him in our desperation. And in our need. And you know, my brothers and sisters, that's exactly what he wants. That is exactly what he wants. There is a, a dynamic that takes place in those moments as we seek him. Just like in this passage where Jesus says, oh woman, great is your faith, your child is healed. He responds and he brings peace. Now, we see over and over again. He may may not take away the circumstances. In fact, we've been watching The Chosen again. I don't know if you have watched The Chosen. It's just a powerful, the the more I watch the second time around, I can't wait to do it again. Uh, Jesus uh, was meeting with Nicodemus and going through John chapter 3. And really, as we all know, the Jews were looking for relief from the Roman Empire. And Jesus says, that's not why I came I did not come to overthrow the Roman Empire. I came to bring peace in the hearts of men and women, of all people. That's what I came for. And as we seek King Jesus, in our desperation in, in, in our need, he will meet us in our hearts and the peace factor will be cranking and pegging out as we seek him and we find our rest in him. That is what he it's all about, and may we seek him. He made that possible. It is an, a miracle, it's a miraculous thing what God has done. As we've already alluded to, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, is eternal separation. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus because we deserve to die. But Jesus said, I'll go. And the father said, son, I need you to go. I need you to die because they can't do it on their own. I need you to pay for their sins. They have no other way, and he said, "I'll do it." And he paid for our sins in his death on the cross. He was buried and then he was resurrected. He was raised from the dead, and he overcame death in that. That we might have life. And we put our trust, when we put our trust in him, he saves us. He meets us there. And he says, "O oh, woman, O oh, man, Oh, child, great is your faith in me. I save you in the name of my own precious son, Jesus. You are now mine, and we are reconciled to him, and we can live in peace. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can live lives that are free, that are at peace that are joyous, that are victorious, even in troubling times, personally and all around us, because you reign and you reign in our hearts and you reign over all. We give you praise and worship even now in the precious name of Jesus, amen.